Section 28 of Not That It Matters by A. A. Milne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Intellectual Snobbery A good many years ago I had a painful experience. I was discovered by my housemaster reading in bed at the unauthorized hour of midnight. Smith Minor, in the next bed, we shared a candle, was also reading. We were both discovered. But the most annoying part of the business, as it seemed to me then, was that Smith Minor was discovered reading Alton Locke, and that I was discovered reading Marooned Among the Cannibals. If only our housemaster had come in the night before, then he would have found me reading Alton Locke. Just for a moment it occurred to me to tell him this, but after a little reflection I decided that it would be unwise. He might have misunderstood the bearings of the revelation. There is hardly one of us who is proof against this sort of intellectual snobbery. A detective story may have been a very good friend to us, but we don't want to drag it into the conversation. We prefer a casual reference to the egoist, with which we have perhaps only a bowing acquaintance. A reference which leaves the impression that we are inseparable companions, or at any rate inseparable until such day when we gather from our betters that there are heights even beyond the egoist. Dead or alive, we would sooner be found with a copy of Marcus Aurelius than with a copy of Marie Corelli. I used to know a man who carried always with him a Russian novel in the original, not because he read Russian, but because a day might come when, as the result of some accident, the pockets of the deceased would be exposed in the public press. As he said, you never know. But the only accident which happened to him was to be stranded for twelve hours one August at a wayside station in the Highlands. After this, he maintained that the Russians were overrated. I should like to pretend that I myself have grown out of these snobbish ways by this time, but I am doubtful if it would be true. It happened to me not so long ago to be travelling in company of which I was very much ashamed and to be ashamed of one's company is to be a snob. At this period I was trying to amuse myself, and, if it might be so, other people, by writing a burlesque story in the manner of an imaginary collaboration by Sir Hall Kane and Mrs. Florence Barclay. In order to do this I had to study the works of these famous authors, and for many weekends in succession I might have been seen travelling to, or returning from, the country with a couple of their books under my arm. To keep one book beneath the arm is comparatively easy. To keep two is much more difficult. Many was the time, while waiting for my train to come in, that one of those books slipped from me. Indeed, there is hardly a junction in the railway system of the southern counties 
at which I have not dropped, on some Saturday or other, a cane or a Barclay, to have it restored to me a moment later by a courteous fellow-passenger, courteous, but with a smile of gentle pity in his eye as he glimpsed the author's name. "'Thanks very much,' I would stammer, blushing guiltily, and perhaps I would babble about a sick friend to whom I was taking them, or that I was running out of paperweights, but he never believed me. He knew that he would have said something like that himself. Nothing is easier than to assume that other people share one's weaknesses. No doubt Jack the Ripper excused himself on the ground that it was human nature. Possibly, indeed, he wrote an essay like this, in which he speculated mildly as to the reasons which made stabbing so attractive to us all. So I realize that I may be doing you an injustice in suggesting that you who read may also have your little snobberies. But I confess that I should like to cross-examine you. If, in conversation with you, on the subject, let us say, of heredity, a subject to which you had devoted a good deal of study, I took it for granted that you had read Omini's approximations, would you make it quite clear to me that you had not read it? Or would you let me carry on the discussion on the assumption that you knew it well? Would you, even in answer to a direct question, say shamefacedly that though you had not, er, actually read it, you, er, knew about it, of course, and had, er, read extracts from it? Somehow I think that I could lead you on to this, perhaps even make you say that you had actually ordered it from your library before I told you the horrid truth that Omini's approximations was an invention of my own. It is absurd that we, I say we, for I include you now, should behave like this, for there is no book over which we need be ashamed, either to have read it or not to have read it. Let us therefore be frank. In order to remove the unfortunate impression of myself which I have given you, I will confess that I have only read three of Scott's novels, and begun, but never finished, two of Henry James's. I will also confess, and here I am by way of restoring that unfortunate impression, that I do quite well in Scottish and Jacobean circles on those five books. For if a question arises as to which is Scott's masterpiece, it is easy for me to suggest one of my three, with the air of one who has chosen it not over two others, but over twenty. Perhaps one of my three is the acknowledged masterpiece. I do not know. If it is, then of course all is well. But if it is not, then I must appear rather a clever fellow for having rejected the obvious. With regard to Henry James, my position is not quite so secure. But at least I have good reason for feeling that the two novels, which I was unable to finish, cannot be his best. And with a little tact I can appear to be defending this opinion hotly 
against some imaginary authority who has declared in favour of them one might have read the collective works of both authors and yet make less of an impression indeed sometimes i feel that i have read their collective works and omni's approximations and many other books with which you would be only too glad to assume familiarity for in giving others the impression that i am on terms with these masterpieces i have but handed on an impression which has gradually formed itself in my own mind so i take no advantage of them and if it appears afterwards that we have been deceived together i shall at least be as surprised and indignant about it as they End of section twenty eight